I am Edwin K. Morse, President and Founder of Pioneer Knowledge Services, America's first knowledge management nonprofit. This program, Because You Need to Know, is part of our mission to educate and bring awareness around knowledge management. Ms. Kimberly La Mandola is the Local Food Projects Manager and Regional Development Coordinator for the Regional Planning and Development Organization known as Southern Tier West. She serves constituents of Western New York, specifically in Allegheny, Cattaraugus, and Chautauqua counties. She helps farmers and food producers to expand consumer markets, increase demand for local food products, and cooperatively market and promote regional food items. Kimberly also serves as the region's coordinator for the Area Development Grant Program, sponsored by the Appalachian Regional Commission, and is very active in developing eligible products that will benefit the region's economic vibrancy. Her credentials are in rural agroecology development. Kimberly has many decades of experience in all aspects of grantsmanship and management. She is a native resident of Western New York and enjoys the abundant opportunities the region has to offer, including snowshoeing, cross-country skiing, hiking, kayaking, cycle touring, and tending a backyard garden that quickly gets out of control. Her background includes nonprofit management, board leadership, program development, and strategic planning. She is currently the board chair for Canticle Farm, which is a nonprofit community-supported agriculture farm located in Allegheny, New York. That is sponsored by the Franciscan Sisters of Allegheny. So I, I see that you have a long history in Western New York, and it seems to me that there's a lot of your work and past that has been around social connection, social mission. Can you talk about what's going on in Western New York and the span of your experience and maybe what's lacking? Yes. Hi, Edwin. Thanks. That is right. I do have, I, I, I guess I'm old enough to say extensive background now <laughs> in a variety of sectors. I've worked many years, decades. That does sound old, doesn't <laughs> it? Decades in not the nonprofit realm. Um, and now currently I'm in the quasi nonprofit government realm. But um, I've worked in the arts and culture sector. Um, I've worked in human service sector. I've worked in environmental services, and now I'm in um, the sector that I really um, love, which is food system development and also um, federal grants gatekeeping for a regional planning commission. This area has a lot of assets as far as organizations, businesses, people who are committed to helping others, and Watching the evolution of these organizations as grants and some funding sources that may be connected to state and federal programs have shrunk or eliminated. We've seen a shift in um, the region, and the region that I'm referencing includes the counties of Chautauqua, Cattaraugus, and Allegheny counties of western New York. The need for services and knowledge and resources and assistance, whether it's in the for-profit or nonprofit sector, never goes away. But as shifting access to resources and funds have changed, it's been interesting to watch profit and nonprofit realign themselves, and in many times now working together, which, you know, back in the, in the day, 
um, nonprofits stayed on their side of the, the the fence, and for-profit and government entities kind of straddled the other sides. We're seeing now a blending and sharing of services, sharing of programs, and sharing of resources. The initial knee-jerk reaction when um, maybe 10 or 15 years ago when we saw some funding quickly and dramatically dry up to support a lot of these agencies and collaboration, that was the big word about 15, 20 years ago, collaboration and partnerships. You know, organizations were very fearful of working with other nonprofits and even with for-profit entities and into the government sector for fear of, and it would be fear of losing autonomy over their programs and services, fear of having to reduce staff, which isn't always a bad thing when you're looking at efficiency of services to um, you know, impart the best and biggest impacts. Those fears are gone, and I think you see an active handshake across the for-profit and nonprofit aisle with organizations and businesses actively seeking ways to interact with each other and share potential um, resources and develop collaborative and shared programs. Wow. So that's the, <laughs> and I say that is that that is a realization I don't know if everyone sees. So thank you for that perspective. So the nonprofit Well, let me let me uh, let me let me qualify okay. my perspective. Most of my existence in both the for-profit and nonprofit world has been in fund development through through grants grantsmanship, both as a grant seeker and a grant fund administrator. So I have been really lucky to see both sides of the coin. Quite frankly, the administration side, you know, administering a quote-unquote pool of money to grant applicants is a whole lot um, more fun than being on the (laughs) applicant side trying to, to fund develop. But it's really given me the um, unique perspective on both sides. So that's a little bit of where my, um, my observations um, stem from. With that perspective, does this area lead is about the same or is lagging as far as that perspective nationally? Is this going on in other places? Well, I, I would like to think that we're a leader. And, you know, what really helps is within this three-county region, I believe we've got eight institutions of higher education. Now, that that's a quite – and that's including um, uh, Jamestown Community College and its discrete campuses. But each of those discrete campus, campuses are also required to seek, you know, discretionary funding for their programs and services. The SUNY system – doesn't provide a pot of money for state schools, whether they're two-year, four-year, or or, um, graduate work. And our private institutions are all leaders in developing not only programs and academic pathways for students, but becoming more partnered with the communities. Through the role at, and I, my employment is with Southern Tier West Regional Planning and Development Board, headquartered in Salamanca. We are also the local development district or the gatekeeper for the Appalachian Regional Commission because this area is in the northern tip of Appalachia, or if you're below Interstate 80, Appalachia. (laughs) Um, (laughs) So, and we've seen, you know, colleges like Alfred State College not just develop 
really incredible and, and relevant programs for their graduates to really have the greatest post-graduation chance of employability, but they reach into the community and partner with other organizations and, and provide a lot of opportunities for the residents to access many times free programs and services and knowledge enhancement. So I think this area as a whole um, does have leadership in some of this transformation and shift in how nonprofits and for-profits have interacted because we do have a density of higher education institutions, which is an asset. You know, the old town gown theory that uh, campuses, for the most part, were off limits to their um, residents. We just don't see that in in this this region. Um, St. Bonaventure, you know, is this community's and this we're sitting here in the the village of Allegheny, town of Allegheny, I think right now, is is this region's campus, as is Jamestown Community College, as is Houghton College, as is SUNY Fredonia, as is um, Alfred State College, as is Alfred University. Now, who did I forget? Because this will come back to haunt me. But we we do have, you know, we're rich in many of those assets. I'm hearing you say is that this competitive model, which was not long ago, is starting to transcend into more of a community model. Mm -hmm. Is that fair to say? I think it's fair to say because community, whatever whatever the need or the mission or the purpose that nonprofits are sharing, you know, we've not ameliorated any of those needs for resources or services. So I, I, I would, I would, would, it would, it's a, it's a, it's fair to say that while uh, the competitive, while we're all competitive, all the organizations are competitive, there is a much greater level of collaboration and sharing. I just got an email yesterday from a constituent who um, manages a nonprofit in Salamanca who said, you know, basically, dear Kim and dear so-and-so, I'm sending this email to both of you because both of you work, uh, you may not know each other, but both of you are doing and working in areas that I think if you knew each other and worked together, you could help us do this. And so, you know, that, that was, that was brilliant. And I'm going to meet um, the person that she made the inter email introduction with and come to find out we already knew each other and can't wait to see what comes out of this potential meeting of our two organizations. So there was an opportunity created mm-hmm. if you already knew each other, but in the instance that you didn't, there's somebody that's a connector mm-hmm. and can see opportunities. And that that's a very viable piece mm-hmm. to any thrive. If you're going to thrive, you have to have those type of people that can see and connect and, and see that future opportunity. That's very exciting. It is. But going back to conversations you and I have had, you have to know who's out there. I've luck I'm I'm very lucky in the fact that most of my last almost two and a half decades of experience has been in covering the region. So I kind of um you know, I'm I'm not in that silo of I work in the city of or I work only in the county of. I've been charged to represent the um the region for almost 25 years in various capacities and for different organizations. And it's, it's interesting in the one, you know, maybe the arts and culture sector that I had worked in, especially with elected officials, 
those are the same people that I'm currently working with in a different kind of, of sector in dealing with food system development, agriculture, support to food producers and value-added food processors, and trying to develop markets for um, consumer markets for products and goods that are grown and made right here. We're still, I'm still working with many of the same people in economic development, in elected officials, and in county and local government and state government. So you've got a whole network that mm-hmm. you've achieved through constant contact, experience, daily work activities that has rolled up to a probably a, you probably have forgot everything you know <laughs> to a degree. I mean, you get accustomed to knowing this certain level of engagement so for me to sit down and say, well, who do you know in this? You'd be like, oh, what's well, Joe or Sally or, or whatever. So there's there's this amount of knowledge that you've gained. So how would you share that? How would you make that a resource that's actually a, a shareable resource for folk? So so that's interesting because I've never looked at it as an inventory of what I know until you've you know recently brought the whole discipline of knowledge management to my attention. But just anecdotally, in um, the four years or so that I've worked with the air, the region's farmers and food producers and farmers markets and so on and so forth, I've made hundreds of contacts. In having um, an AmeriCorps intern join our organization about a year and a half ago, <laughs> she just recently told me it's okay. The hardest part of the job was learning what was in my head. <laughs> and she said, you know, I would have a conversation with Kim and she would say, well, so and so did this, and now you need to see so and so and so and so. And she said, a year, she's got a year under her belt, or actually a little bit more than a year. And she said she's now feeling confident enough to go out on her own, on her own and initiate conversations and, and programs and services mm-hmm. because now she knows, you know, who I was referencing. And there's always a backstory, too. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I see I'm always about the story. I love the story of something. <laughs> so working with farmers and producers isn't always the fastest way to get things done because I love the story. But that was the anecdotal, to hear her say the hardest part of the job was to access um, what was in my head. Realizing that, uh, yeah, I am just one person in one organization, really do hold a, a volume of not only data, but anecdotal information hearsay too not a lot not always a lot of what i know is truth or accurate but it's a good conversation starter and i I guess i really haven't yet thought of how to relay that and i kiddingly said for another nonprofit organization that i've just stepped into the leadership role of the board of directors we talked about what i've known in the nonprofit world to be what you call the croak file and everybody looked at me and said, what? And I said, well, I'm an old school nonprofit. Any organization I've ever worked for or been on the board, it was suggested we have a croak file. And they're like, what is that? I said, well, it's a basically your logbook of operations and history and minute-to-minute deployment if say, the executive director or the person with all the knowledge, for lack of a better word, croaked. (laughs) 
Exactly. And so what if the person who had all the knowledge that kept that organization going on a day-to-day basis was not available Mm -hmm. 8 o'clock the next morning or on? You know, the board would and other staff have to be able to not miss a beat, especially in the way nonprofits um, and even for-profit businesses, you don't um, get too many second starts or third starts and be successful. So I was like, yeah, so how do I do a croak file? Or we'll call it living knowledge because I don't mm. I don't plan on croaking, right. um, knock on <laughs> knock on wood here of of the work that I'm doing, and I haven't I haven't found the answer to that yet. Well, that's that's a challenge. I mean, it, you know, so if you equated what your person you were just referring to at your current job said that it took about a year for mm-hmm. proficiency to hit in, or at least right. some level of confidence, how much did that cost? You know, and if you start looking at how long it takes someone to reach that mm-hmm. running speed of operational capacity that they should be doing mm-hmm. or people expect, and it's all hinging upon someone having a set of knowledge that could have been shared, mm-hmm. that's that's definitely an issue. And I the, the handover, having a handover file or a process to where knowledge is shareable, retained, and valuable for the next person to operationally take over is definitely something the military, uh, in my experience, has been uh, fairly proficient at because we are trained for that eventuality because uh, we're constantly in transition. So in what I've seen is that in some organizations, uh, they do a exit interview, which uh, to me is a little too little too late. And mm-hmm. uh, so the process is during the workday, the the work processes should reflect some sort of knowledge capture to enable someone else to mm-hmm. be able to walk in and do that. Because the the last thing you want someone to do is at their last two weeks uh, notice before they retire, or uh, they just won the lottery, so they're going to give you one more week, uh, is to say, hey, can you put everything you know in a, in a three-ring binder so the next person, yeah, mm-hmm. well, that, that that's questionable value. What would be your recommendation for any organization to consider? Because you, you've identified the issue, so you've probably mm-hmm. thought some of how, how you would get around that. Well, and I, I want to go back to the, my coworker that you were referencing mm-hmm. as far as the expense in somebody coming up to speed. This was a little bit different situation since it was the position was funded mostly through AmeriCorps, and it's... Not so much an internship, but it's an opportunity for somebody to learn. So so not only do they contribute, but the bulk of their takeaway is to gain knowledge. So that, that was an ideal situation. So I think, you know, that that happened and it, the situation was the way it was established to be. So it wasn't a, a, a loss of yeah. expense on paper, in fact. She's been a tremendous asset to our our program and is now highly contributing based on um, the knowledge that I guess she picked from my head and, of course, her own knowledge that she's gained with being in the field. To your next question, how, how to do that? And I don't know other than um, even in our small organization of seven employees, we, we work in, uh, among us, we all work in a pretty much a pretty discreet area of, of work. Our, our director is very good about encouraging us to, to meet as a, as, as, a, as a group, as a staff, 
and to um, we've kind of organically now crossed walk down the hall and talk to our colleagues and are beginning to do a lot of just inter- or, or in-house collaboration mm-hmm. because so much of the work that we do in our discrete disciplines isn't discrete anymore. It overlaps into mm-hmm. all the other areas that each of us is doing. So whether it's food system development or broadband or GIS or transportation planning or rural health care or assistance to municipalities, you know, it's all connected. There's a lot of crossover. It's a lot of yeah. crossover. Mm-hmm. So any organization or business, and I think the younger organizations, you know, kind of like the Google and the Apple type of organizations where they have co-working spaces and there's a lot of dialogue that I think naturally exchanges um, among staff and the creative economy and inside the building and outside of the building helps to decentralize the knowledge among many people. So I, I think just establishing a in an atmosphere of collegiality within your own organization and external of your organization is probably one of the best ways Mm -hmm. to encourage verbal sharing and knowledge. And, you know, even if uh, with everything being, you know, digitally and cloud-based, I think it would be pretty easy to establish some kind of, um, you know, even if you have uh, your own... uh, account where your employees can uh, tweet sim- uh, do something like tweeting to each other about hey today I did or hey mm. anybody have an idea of mm. so so I just think I, and I like I said I love the story so I'm I prefer usually always face-to-face communication mm. now I try to stay on top of all the you know the the gadgets and the <laughs> um, up-to-the-minute way of communicating but right. still face-to-face communication is is my preferred method. Well, I'm going to I'm going to take that last thought you you provided because to me the culture is the key. And that's exactly what you're speaking to is how to you how to engage the culture. Conversation, face-to-face methods are things storytelling are things where people uh, have to rely on listening and to be able to communicate and understand each other. And those are things that help to build trust, mm-hmm. which then propagates more communication. So I'm with you there. I appreciate that. The last thing I'll ask is that two things I'll ask. So what is knowledge management to you? We've had conversation. I'm just interested to know what you think knowledge management is. I, and I don't, I, I don't want to give you the wrong answer because um, you've really enlightened, <laughs> this is a enlightened test. me. Yes. But just, just, just looking at, you know, what I've just, just kind of reviewing what I've just um, sat here and, and, and talked with you about and thinking a little bit greater about it than I, than I normally would. I think knowledge management is, um, it's, it's, it's both a process and a practice and, and even a science, which actually kind of describes something um, similar to like um, agro- uh, eco-agriculture. Um, there are many different ways that it can be described. So I think it's getting a sense or an inventory, sounds like such a hard word, of what is known and by whom. Leveraging that, leveraging 
what is known to know more, to do more, to be more, to help more. And even if it's just in little increments or little bits, you know, it's, it's, it's funny. I can, I can, I've had long-term work relationships with amazing people and people that I had worked with for 10 or 15 years in previous jobs, I still stay in touch with. And it surprises me that even if we get together for lunch, I still learn something new about what they know in their work world. Every day changes and evolves. So does knowledge. And sometimes it's overwhelming now that, you know, with a press of a button or, you know, a press, you know, with your thumb devices and phones, um, what people know can be what millions of people know in a split second. Um, so sometimes you either want to put your head in the hole because you can't keep up with it <laughs> or really think, how do you leverage it? And I think knowledge management basically to me summarizes is how do you leverage it so that it's not static knowledge, that it always evolves and, ter- I mean, and turns and, and, um, and grows to the benefit for somebody or groups of people or for some purpose. Well, thank you. I think you captured the whole essence of basically putting knowledge to work. And I I like that because storing knowledge just to store it doesn't have a whole lot of impact. Mm -hmm. And the last thing I'll ask is that is what would be the last thing you'd like to leave the room with? What's that last thing you want to have out there as uh, something that's important to you and and, uh, you want to make sure it's known? Well, I'm going to turn it right around to the current work that I'm doing with food system development and looking at our micro and regional economies and spending time recently with nieces and nephews and spending time with younger folks and spending time with older folks. I guess I I I see people making purchase decisions especially with their food. I see younger people um, having sometimes difficulty being, their eyes being diverted from their media screens. I guess I would just encourage people to put all of that stuff down for a moment before you make your next food purchase, before you turn on your screen and read something. Ask why. Is it the truth? Not is it the truth, but, but why? Challenge something challenge the why. why why is it that what's on the grocery stores you know comes in boxes rather than something i have to wash and cut the stem off and 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 cook it ask why and i and and engage back into civil society or or maybe uncivil society even <laughs> uh, unrest is not a bad thing i guess look beyond the devices look beyond what is you know on commercials during your favorite television break and ask why and maybe make a little bit of noise in your own community and challenge what seems to be the norm which you may realize um, isn't always the best or the healthiest norm well thank you very much (laughs) you're welcome now you're going to ask yourself about why about something today now why do i yeah that's the challenge mm -hmm. ask why ask why all right okay Thank you. This program, Because You Need to Know, brings people and their knowledge forward to be shared. I am Edwin K. Morse, and I thank you for joining in to listen to another conversation 
brought to you as a public service of Pioneer Knowledge Services, a nonprofit tax exempt organization with a charitable purpose. Help us provide knowledge work at www.pioneer-ks.org.